0: Second Kings, chapter 17 this morning. Second Kings 17. In the next few weeks, um, many of you are feeling this in your own families. Uh, our students are finishing up the school year. And our teachers are uh, grading papers and going through and preparing uh, the final grades for uh, the kids who have taken the tests that they've stressed about and stayed up all night studying for. Um, that, that grading system can create a lot of stress for students. Um, they're working hard, and they're preparing for college, and they're trying to get a strong uh, GPA to get schools to accept them. And sometimes those grades can seal, seem a little unfair. Um, I still have, I will confess to you, a, a bit of frustration and a grudge um, that's, uh, well, now, let's see. It's 29 years old. Um, <laughs> is that nice when you can admit that? I had a professor in seminary that gave me a B plus, even though my work was uh, a high A minus. And the reason I still tell you that 29 years later is that one grade cost me from graduating with honors. Um, And even when I went to um, give him the documents and show that he was giving me the wrong grade, he didn't give in. So that was a disappointment in my life. Um, Ultimately, though, the responsibility for that grade was mine. Because instead of having a shaky A minus, I should have had a strong A, right? Uh, I should have studied harder. I should have made sure that it wasn't left to the discretion of a professor. Because if I had done that, I wouldn't be talking about him today, would I? And if I had pulled straight A's in my other classes, instead of making a couple B's, and I think I had one B minus in seminary, I would have graduated with highest honors, which means I would have worn my little white cord today and impressed you with the fact that I was such a good seminary student and that I was so amazing and intelligent. Now, you say, who cares, right? Most of you don't even know where I went to seminary. I went to school in Dallas, and most of you have never seen my framed diploma, which is, I think, in my basement at this point. It, It really doesn't matter if I made A's or I made D's if I'm not teaching you the word, or if I'm not praying with you when you're hurting, or I'm not counseling you when your marriage is struggling, or encouraging you to love the Lord with all your heart, but while my seminary grades, and we're not even going to talk about my college grades, while my seminary grades don't have any eternal significance, how we live spiritually does. How we live every day in terms of our relationship with the Lord matters in every way. Not only in terms of us, not only in terms of our spiritual health and maturity, but also in terms of the long-term impact on our lives and what we experience. And and also in terms of how the people around us are affected and influenced for the Lord. And whether we like it or not, the Lord does keep a record of what we do. In that, he knows every thought and intent of our heart, and he disciplines or rewards our actions, and and he tells us that we will ultimately give an account of how we lived. Now, whether you've trusted Jesus as your Savior or not, um, every one of us, believer or non-believer, lives in responsibility to the Lord. And as believers, we're even more accountable to him because as we sang, we've tasted and seen, right? We, we know the grace of God. We know the goodness of God. We hold his word in our hands. The Holy Spirit, who we sang about, indwells and fills us. So we know the difference. We're not saying that to brag. We're saying that because God's been gracious and because God's redeemed us and wants to redeem everybody. And as those who were redeemed, we understand. So God looks at my life, Paul Rhodes, and he says, well, Rhodes, you've known me for now 41 years so you know better you know how to live you know what to do with my word you know that you should pray you know that you should live a life that is after four decades should be exemplary before me and I'm watching and I'm looking at your heart and I'm looking at your, your life and I'm looking what you do with your life and what you look at and what you take in whether it's pure or whether it's unholy I, I'm watching all of that And you're going to give an account as somebody that I've redeemed of what you've done with my redemption. Now, in the Old Testament, we have 39 books of historical record that detail how God does this. God establishes himself clearly as the Lord of creation, the Lord of all. He he clearly establishes that he is holy and we're sinful He clearly establishes his holy law, his expectations for those who believe in him. And by choosing a nation and by giving them everything they needed, including his presence, every bit of help he could, every bit of leading that he could, he shows that he's loving and gracious. And he shows that we are disciplined or or blessed based on how we live. Now, sadly, Israel pretty much failed at every turn. They had some moments of faithfulness, and when they did that, the Lord was, was abundantly faithful and blessed them and was generous to them. But the vast majority of the time, Israel repeated their attitudes and their behavior that were, that were contrary to the Lord, disappointed to the Lord. And all too often, you look throughout the Old Testament, you see them complaining, doubting, rebelling, making the wrong choice, worshipping idols. And not completely eradicating the things that made them disobey. And, and really, when you start to study the scripture, the Old Testament, uh, I- intensely, it is maddening. It's frustrating. It's a, it's a case study in how not to live for the Lord. And yet, it's us. And we have to look at that because the Bible tells us that all scripture is given for our instruction in training of righteousness, Correct. The Old Testament's not, not something you push aside and say, well, that doesn't apply anymore because of the New Covenant. The Old Testament is designed to teach us. It's a case study in human behavior. So if that's true, and it is, then we have to look at a text like this, and we have to hear the warnings that God's telling us, and, and we have to allow this text to teach us and refine us so we don't repeat the same mistakes. Because if we repeat the same mistakes... Why would we do that? We're accountable to it. We can see the effect that it has, even to this day, on the nation of Israel because they rebelled. In fact, when we read verse, I think it's 6, that that's still happening today. Now, in 2 Kings 17, this is a, a, a really a point of, of historical record where the northern ten tribes, Israel, remember, ten to the north Israel, two to the south Judah, the northern ten tribes have hit their breaking point. Their defiance to the Lord, their their resistance, their unwillingness to repent, their unwillingness to change has now brought God's judgment. And he has allowed them to be taken into captivity. Look at chapter 17, 2 Kings, start in verse 6. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria "...and carried Israel away into exile to Assyria, and settled them in Hela and Habor, on the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes." Now, the Bible's going to tell us why this happened. Now this came about, verse 7, "...because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." And they had feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nation whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel, and in the customs of the kings of Israel which they had been introduced. The sons of Israel did things secretly which were not right against the Lord their God. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtowers to fortified cities. They set for themselves sacred pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away to exile before them. And they did evil things, provoking the Lord. They served idols, verse 12, concerning which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer, saying, Turn away from your evil ways. Keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I have commanded your fathers, and which I have set to you through my servants the prophets. However, verse 14, they did not listen, but stiffened their neck like their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant which he made with their fathers and his warnings which he warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the nations which surrounded them concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves molten images, even two calves, and made an Asherah and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. Then they made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire and practiced divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. None was left except the tribe of Judah. Wow, that's pretty heavy from May, right? Listen, the Spirit of God never hides the truth. And He always wants us to learn. So look back at verse 7 for a minute, because in verse 6 it said Israel's carried away to Assyria. Verse 7 says there is a direct cause and effect for why they were taken away. And it's very simple. It came about because they sinned against the Lord their God. And notice how the Lord reminds them again in verses 7 and 8 that he was the one who had brought their ancestors out of the last captivity, which was in Egypt in the book of Exodus. Anytime God refers to Egypt in terms of Israel, he is reminding them, he's indicting them, and he's warning. So he says, hey, you guys are taken into captivity. Remember that last one? It was in Egypt, and I had brought you out of that one. Until Jesus came, there was no moment more profound for the nation, no no event that was more viscerally uh, memorable, no no event that reminded them more of the understanding of, of salvation than the deliverance from Egypt. Here's the problem. Israel never really appreciated it. And they rarely remembered it or learned from it. So again, we get back to 2 Kings, and they repeat their sin. You know, there comes a point as believers where we no longer have a defense for continuing in the sins of our youth. There comes a point where we can no longer say, hey, I have a reason why I haven't moved on to maturity. And and here's what I've found. Often this plagues believers who have been saved for decades more than it plagues new believers. Because what happens when somebody gets saved? They are just crazy on fire. Did you know that Bible says this? Did you know you can pray? Man, I love to worship. I'm so, I just can't wait to get to worship and sing about my Lord. You get around a new believer, it's infectious. But what happens when you're around a believer 20, 30 years, 40 years saved, where it's just kind of like, yeah, calm down. You'll, you'll get it. It's all right. I would think a believer like myself, who's been saved 41 years, would be crazy passionate on fire. Way more than a new believer, because I've lived with it for four decades. But what happens? We get ungrateful. We get complacent. So ask yourself a couple questions this morning. Is my spiritual diet still milk and soft food? Or is it steak and bread and root vegetables? Is my faith still kind of unsteady and and circumstantial? Or is it steadfast and immovable and constant? Am I still lured in by by the old life and kind of participating in it and hanging around with the old friends? Or or am I not going to get pulled into that? There's no way because I know the damage that it does. Not only to my life but to my witness. Are anger and jealousy and lack of forgiveness and pride, are those still dominant in your life? Are they still kind of out of control? Or are you gracious and steady and self-disciplined? In other words, the bottom line is, how much have we learned from our agents? And is the Lord ready right now, when He looks at my life, when He looks at your life, is He ready to discipline or is He ready to bless? See, in this text, The Lord lays out four primary actions. I know we read a lot. There's a lot in here. But let's just summarize it. He lays out four primary actions that they had done that led to their situation. As I'm studying this, I realize that they all started with F, a failing grade. So I started to play with that a little bit, and I realized that the alternative actions really could could all start with an A. So at the risk of being trite, and I rarely do this when I preach, at the risk of being trite, I'm going to go rather for easy to remember. Let's look at the mistakes, and let's look at the ideals. In other words, let's look at the F grade, and let's look at the A grade. And then we're going to grade ourselves. Because while this was a collective failure of the whole nation, Collective failures start with individual failure. So each person had a lack of conviction. Each person allowed an intentional spiritual decline. And this was not small. This was not just like, well, we built a couple altars. What's the big deal? If you look back at it, it was in verse uh, verse 10. It says there were sacred pillars, there were ashram, which were kind of uh, places of sexual deviance, and and there were, under every tree, under every hill, uh, everywhere you looked, it wasn't like just one there, one there. You looked under any tree, there was some kind of idol worship. So this is a widespread problem. There's no king responsible for it. It's not like Ahab stole on the throne. This was the decline of the people spiritually again and again and again. Allowing it, promoting it, excited about it. We're just not going to follow the Lord. And as that happened, the whole nation came into failure. So let's look at that. Let's see what the alternative is. And let's grade ourselves. Because you can't get a grade unless you know the material, right? Right? So let's take some notes this morning. We've got a couple slides. Let's start in verses 7 and 8 with the first problem that Israel had. The first problem Israel had is they feared other gods. They feared other gods instead of adoring the only true God. Israel throughout its history has had a loyalty problem. They don't love God they haven't appreciated God, and they were quick to look for alternatives when they didn't get their way. Now, this happens in relationships. We stop looking for reasons to appreciate and be grateful for who the other person is and what they've done for us. And when that happens, we start to lose our passion, and ultimately it can cause us to be unfaithful. And that plays out in significant ways, and it plays out in innocuous ways. Significant ways like infidelity in a marriage or, or blowing up a family situation because of pride. It goes down to neglecting friendships or allowing them to die out or, or leaving a church because of selfishness. Or being critical or gossiping about people just because you're hurt or, or you're selfish or whatever. This, this has so many ways that it can carry out where we start to just get full of ourselves. Israel was constantly full of themselves. And they were disloyal to God even though again and again and again and again he had showed them his grace and his kindness and his mercy and he had led them and forgiven them and and restored them and promised to them and again, they just kept being unfaithful. So now, look at the verses. It says that they created and worshipped other gods. It started in Sinai with the golden calf. Then it was a constant progression of other idols. But what's so disturbing and what should cause us to stop and pause and evaluate is that one word in verse 7. It says that they feared other gods. The word there means honored, respected, and stood in awe of. So, here's how delusional sin makes us. They stood at Sinai. They're waiting for Moses to come down. He's taking too long in their estimation. They can see the cloud with the presence of God. They can hear the voice of God giving the law, but they're impatient. And they say, we need another God. So they start to take off their jewelry, and they start to throw it in a fire. And they watch as Aaron forms in the fire a golden calf. And then you know how stupid sin makes us? They say, that's the God that led us out of Egypt. They just watched it be formed. It was their jewelry. But no, that's that's the God that did it. It shows how deceptive temptation is. And how gullible we can be when we stop remembering what the Lord has done for us. And we stop praising him. That's what adoration is. I struggled with this word because sometimes we think of adoration as like a teenage crush or a or a bad greeting card. Oh man, there's some bad greeting cards out there. That's a sidebar, just so you know. The biblical concept of adoration means exalting the Lord, reverencing the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And listen, it's nice to have the mics and the speakers and the lights and the screen, but I was so glad Lynn said that. People did it for 2,000 years without any of that. There was no smoke machine in Acts. If we can't come in and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, whether we have a smoke machine or all the lights are off, then we're not really worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. Adoration, reverencing Him, praising Him, being zealous of Him, talking about Him, exalting Him, all praise to Jesus. Not thinking, well, I don't like this, and, and we didn't have this, and I my seat's uncomfortable. No, that, that's the enemy saying, think about something else other than the Lord. Because if you think about the Lord, I lose. The evidence that their heart was turned, look back at verses 7 and 8, was that they were walking in the customs of the nations that the Lord had driven out, which is a nice way of saying they were worldly. They loved everything else. More than the Lord. They loved what was offensive to the Lord instead of loving the Lord. We have to look at an evaluation of saying, Do I fear other gods? Am I pursuing other things? Do I really love the Lord? Then, second, in verses 9 to 13, we see that Israel fortified the wrong things. They fortified the wrong things instead of building altars to the Lord these 5 verses 9 10 11 12 13 are a detailed indictment of all the different ways that Israel had had openly and intentionally defied the Lord and disobeyed in spectacular ways and we don't need to detail all of it cuz of time but but it involves the widespread establishment and worship of idols the pillars all the things we just talked about everywhere you looked there was some place of worship to gods other than God. And it's ironic that if you look back at verse 9. The Lord says they did this secretly. That, that refers more to the delusion of their thinking. That we'll do this and the Lord won't know what we're doing. It'll, it'll just start with one or two. You notice how sin just starts with one or two? Just one or two. Just, uh, just allow myself a little latitude here. God's gracious. Just one or two. Let's, let's just build a couple altars. We, we need to honor that, you know, there's some other gods out there that have helped us. And then one, two, three, four, five, six. Pretty soon, the whole landscape of the nation is dotted with altars and idols. Not to God. But to these false gods. That word secretly, don't, don't go past that in verse 9. That should cause us to ask, what are the actions and relationships, listen now, that I'm trying to hide? What are the areas of my life that I hope nobody discovers? What's what's my moral search history that I hope nobody ever sees? Because if they do, they're going to see far more impurity than they know. It may not be illicit. It may not be deviant. It may just be something that's part of your life that you do outside these walls that you would never dream of doing around the people of Harbor Rock But That's good. I, I love my church, but but boy, I hope they don't know that that's what I'm doing. And, and let's add to that. How much time, how much money, how much thought, how much priority is placed on those secret things versus the amount of time spent studying the Word and praying and serving versus how much money we give to the Lord, versus how much priority we place on maturing in our walk. You see, Israel, it says here, kept fortifying the wrong things. They kept building up what was contrary and offensive to the Lord instead of building altars so they could worship him. It's the difference between Lot and Abraham. When the land was divided, what did Lot do? He kept pitching his tents towards Sodom. Going closer and closer and closer until it became attractive, Till he became part of it, and then became so ingrained in it that he was the official greeter at the city gate. And Abraham, who got the raw end of the deal, Abraham goes and builds an altar to the Lord, and then he goes to the next location, and he builds an altar to the Lord, and then he goes to the next location, and he builds an altar to the Lord. showing his gratitude, getting his heart right, establishing a spiritual priority. You know the end, right? Lot has to be dragged out of the city with his unbelieving family, literally, physically pulled out, pulled away, longing to stay there by the angels who pull him out and his family so corrupted that even though God warned them, his wife looks back, with great longing. I wish we were still there as the city's being devastated by fire. And Abraham, 5,000, 6,000 years later, we're still holding him up as the example of faith. One gets an F, one gets an A. We get an F when we fortify the wrong things. We get an A when we build altars. Which grade are you getting? Third, quickly, Verses 14 and 15, Israel fought against believing. When we have lack of faith, we're fighting against believing instead of admitting how much they needed the Lord. Look at the verses, verses 14 and 15. The Spirit says they didn't listen, but stiffened their necks and didn't believe in the Lord. Now, that's not a physical condition that you just slept wrong. That is a spiritual graphic description of of stubbornness and resistance and their absolute unwillingness to bow to the Lord. You see, for Israel, when the word of God was taught, they tuned it out. Intellectually and emotionally, they ignored it. The alternative that we have is neglecting the word of God, missing church, never taking a note, just kind of sitting there and hearing it, but but not taking it in. The word needs to be ingrained into our hearts because it prevents sin. Then God sent all the prophets and all the seers to warn them, but they didn't hear a word. They they didn't want to receive that because it was too difficult. They talked about judgment and sin, and and they weren't into that. The the modern-day equivalent is that we receive only what's easy, that we never seek the whole counsel of God, because that might require change. And then for Israel, God established his statutes and his covenants in front of them, and they just treated them as dirt. For us, it's when we hear the word of God and we take it in, but we continue to live in sin and we continue to defend it and justify it as we decline spiritually. You see, for Israel, their way was best. They had more wisdom than God. God was archaic, out of touch, irrelevant, way too strict. We subtly do this by dismissing a biblical worldview and instead focusing on what's relevant and what's inoffensive to anybody. Let's just, let's just all get along, coexist. What a ridiculous bumper sticker that is. <laughs> Tell that to all the other religions that are trying to kill us. Listen, we want to love the world. We want to reach people for Christ. We want to have a heart of compassion. That's biblical. If we don't do that, we're disobeying God. Let's not fool ourselves. The word of God is powerful. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it divides. It divides. It divides. And we either take it. And hold it as precious. And say I need the Lord so much. And I'm so glad for his word. Or we just fight against believing. Of course when we reject something. We have to find an alternative. And look quickly at what the Bible says here. It says that their alternative was man's default. It was vanity. We usually think of vanity as pride. But the word actually here means a vapor. Something that has no depth. Something that has no lasting value. And if there is a verse that describes the world in 2017. It is that one. The prioritization and the pursuit of what shallow and and what is eternally worthless, all centered on our limitless pride. Hollywood embodies it. Washington funds it. The press promotes it. And social media records it all. We are vain. We are proud. We are chasing after vapors. And that takes on a lot of different forms that pride Being critical and frustrated when you think you're right. And feeling resentment that you aren't being praised. And withholding forgiveness. And on and on and on it goes. Pride is so nasty. And all too often and with great sadness, I've seen it affect marriages and families and churches and relationships again and again and again. Which is why every day, listen now, we need to be going before the Lord and saying, humble me, break me, remove my pride. And prevent it from being like that spiritual plaque in our arteries that eventually is going to stop everything. They became vain. What a horrible phrase that is. But that's the enemy's playbook. That's what he does, that's what he promotes, and we can't fall into it. The only way for us to be blessed, the only way for us to thrive, is to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Say the rest with me. And he will lift us up. The alternative is true. Be proud in the sight of the Lord, and he will aggressively oppose it. Last one, verses 16 and 17. Israel forsook God's word. Israel forsook God's word instead of agreeing with his wisdom, commands, and leading. They followed the example of the enemy who distorts everything that's holy and everything that's right. We studied it two weeks ago, we've talked about it this morning. Here, we see in verses 16 and 17 that they were perverting the sacrificial system. Israel knew better, but now they're making idols and they're building altars to false gods and they're worshiping Baal and they're even sacrificing their own children. Listen, I know we're tired. At the end of the day, it's nice we're ready to go. Listen to one last thought. When we are out of fellowship with God, listen now, We alter truth to fit our reality, and we defend what is foolish as enlightened, and we allow what is pure to become corrupted. God had been abundantly clear. You will have no other gods before me, commandment one. You will build no graven images, commandment two. So what do they do? They turn around and they build false gods. They worship them and then they build idols to them and then they corrupt the sacrificial system by burning their own children on those altars. God told them, don't intermingle. Don't worship false gods. But they just repeated what their forefathers had done. Listen, sin is so unashamedly repetitious. They knew all about Egypt. It was the pivotal moment in the nation's history. But look at it. They're doing the exact same things. With no sorrow. No shame. No fear. No self-awareness. When the Lord gets your attention. And I would think with him. With Israel. He did. The Red Sea. The punishment at Sinai. The whole generation dying in the wilderness. The defeated AI. The line of evil kings the attacks by other nations, and now in verse 6, they've been taken into captivity. When When the Lord gets our attention, we better pay attention. But we will easily forget those lessons if we're not walking with the Lord and we're not walking in humility. We'll walk right back into the same traps and experience the same discipline, the same punishment, Some of you have experienced profound difficulty just since this church is formed. Marriage crises, family division, job loss, health problems, death of people close to you. I, I clearly remember many times sitting with you, talking with you, praying with you, other leaders praying with you, coming around you, supporting you. Let me ask you, has that kept you? humble, and broken, and dependent, or have you forgotten, and now you're kind of back to who you were before? Guess what? When we forget, it gets repeated. So if I forget the things that God's taken me through and allowed in my life that have been wilderness, that have been awful, that have had me on my face crying, and and crying out to God for help, and waking me up in the night with anxiety attacks, If I forget those things, guess what? God's gracious, but he's going to keep telling me until I get it. Every time we come to this table, it should break us. Every time we come to that table, our gratitude to God should explode through the roof. Lord, this week, I haven't thanked you every day that Christ died for my sins that I am forgiven, that I am redeemed. And Lord, it took communion to do that again. So forgive me. But you know what? Every day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to study your word and I'm going to be reminded that you are a gracious God and I'm going to agree with it and I'm going to obey your commands and I'm going to trust you because there's no one that's faithful like you. Praise your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Faith is not just believing. And saying, well, God's sovereign, and there it is, and it's done, and I'm going to heaven. Faith is the daily exercise of humbling ourselves before the Lord and saying, I cannot do this for a second without you. So I trust you completely, and I be yours. What does your report card look like? Fearing other gods, or adoring the one true God, fortifying the wrong things, or building altars, fighting against believing, or agreeing with how much you need the Lord, forsaking the Word, or or, or saying God, I, I admit it, I need your wisdom and your counsel and your leading. Do you have Fs? Race a lot of people will say, well, kind of C's. There aren't uh, C's aren't an option here. F. Or A, remember what he said a couple weeks ago about being lukewarm? That makes me sick. Don't be a C student. F's.